Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Seekers Hub podcast, a regular offering of inspiring and relevant sacred knowledge. Please visit us at www.seekershub.org for more information on our online academy, reliable answers service, and engaging media. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, the, the topic that we're going to talk about today is on um, how we deal with with differences, because differences and disagreement are a reality, both within our community and in general amongst human beings. And how does and what is the unity that Allah and His Messenger وسلم, have called us to, and how do we strive to uphold that, that unity? And we'll see, inshallah, that there is a tremendous divine wisdom and mercy in differences, right? So the first thing to look at is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that He has created us differently. This is one of the constant things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an. So much so that in several places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that one of the signs of Allah is that He has made us different. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Rum, which is um, often referred to when people are getting married, right? but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about many of His signs. And He says, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ And from His signs is, اِخْتِلَافُ أَلْوَانِكُمْ وَأَلْسِنَتِكُمْ From the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we differ in our colors and our tongues. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Hujurat, for example, that He has created us in different peoples and tribes. Right? That's one of the things that is just a given reality. But why? لِتَعَارَفُوا So that you may come to know one another in good. And that's what the word ta'arafu comes from. To know one another, but in ways that are good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us about the nature of religious guidance. The nature of religious guidance. In many verses, and we'll touch upon some of these, and some of these, if you make note of them and reflect upon, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us many times about two realities. One reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be united. Right? That you are one ummah, you are one community. But he also tells us subhanahu wa ta'ala that had Allah wished, you would have been one community, united. And we'll see why we are, Allah chose for there not to just be one understanding in general in life, but also one understanding in religion. And that's a constant theme. In the opening of Surah Ali Imran, the third surah of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, It is He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who sent down the book upon you, O Prophet. In it are decisive verses. They are the foundation of the book of the Quran. وَأُخَرُوا مُتَشَابِهَاتِ 
and other verses he revealed that are mutashabih, that are not clear. So why are those verses not clear? Allah SWT says, it is He who sent down this book. Allah chose to make some of the teachings of the Qur'an completely clear, such that there cannot be disagreement about them. Someone says, you know, I'm Muslim, but this thing about the oneness of God, I'm not quite so sure about. Right? It's not open for disagreement, by definition. Right? If, if you're a Muslim, there's some things that are clear. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us right, that وَأُخَرُ مُتَشَابِهَاتِ Other verses are not clear. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ زَيْغٍ As for those in whose hearts is waywardness فَيَتَّبِعُونَ مَا تَشَابَهَ مِنْهُ They seek out the unclear verses اِبْتِغَاءَ الْفِتْنَةِ وَابْتِغَاءَ تَأْوِيلِهِ Seeking out fitna, that sad word, right? Seeking out tribulation, seeking out confusion, seeking out turmoil, and seeking to base their understanding on that. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, as for those who are firm-footed in knowledge, they say we believe in it all. It is all from Allah, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to make our religious teachings themselves open to a multiplicity of understandings while calling us to be united. So the first thing we'll see is why is this unity so important? Now why is this unity so important? This unity is something that is affirmed again and again in the Qur'an. Amongst the places, for example... In the 23rd surah, verse 52, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, إِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةً wahida. Truly, this community of yours is one community. وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ And I am your Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. فَاتَّقُونَ right? So, be mindful of me. So be mindful of me. But it tells us, of course, what is the underlying pillar of that unity that we believe in that one Lord. It's also, of course, the ulama of tafsir explain here that sense. What does Rabb mean? Rabb, the term we normally translate as Lord. Rabb is... you. You could translate as the, your caring Lord. Because the Rabb is the one who takes something gradually towards its good. Right? That's why the word for parenting is tarbiyatul awlad. Right? From the same root of from which Rabb comes from. Right? It has that sense of caring, nurturing, concern. Right? And I am your caring Lord. That Allah wants good for you. Right? So, and there's, this is a constant theme. There are do, over a dozen verses in the Quran that talk about this idea of one ummah. Of one ummah. And if it's one ummah, they are to be united. Then if you look at the teachings of our Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, 
This is a constant encouragement in the sunnah to be united and not to differ. And we're not trying to quote all the, all the various texts, but the Prophet ﷺ, for example, said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْجَمَاعَةِ Be with the great group. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْفُرْقَةِ And beware of divergence. Right? Because the shaitan, فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ قَرِيبٌ مِنَ الْوَاحِدِ For the shaitan is close to the one alone. Right? Or close to the one who diverges off on their own and is further from even two people if they choose to come together. That to be together is desirable, to be divided is undesirable. And this is such an emphasized concept that the great works of Islamic beliefs, of aqidah, like the aqidah of Yamat Tahawi, mention this idea of unity as being something that is a point of belief. That just as we believe in the oneness of God and we believe in the Prophet Muhammad from the details of what we have been made obligated as believers to accept is that believers adhere to that sense of being one ummah, right? And the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi, and it has many supporting narrations, Yadullahi ma'al jama'ah, that Allah's hand is with the group. Right? Allah's hand is with the group. Right? That he, Allah wants us to be united. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be united. However, the intriguing thing is, that Allah chose for the basis of human beings is that we're not united. Right? That we're not united. There are numerous verses in the Quran, and I'll just list a few of them for you for you to reflect upon. Right? Um, and inshallah, you can go and, and look at them because each of the verses mention some of the causes of difference. So, this is something sort of a take home. If you make note of some of these verses, you can. Inshallah, later reflect upon from Surah 42, verse 8, and Surah 43, verse 33, Surah 16, verse 93, the, the 10th Surah, verse 19, and from the second Surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 213. All of them mention that had Allah willed, He would have made you united as one community. But each verse mentions, however, that's not what he willed, and that's not what human beings chose. So why do people differ? Right? Why do people differ? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an tells us about this reality of difference. In the fifth surah, Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number 48. And I'd encourage you, to reflect deeply on, on this verse. Underlying it is a reality, which is that why were we created in the first place? And this is a question. Why were human beings created? Right. Why do we have this worldly life? Right. Like we could save the whole thing. Like why not just say, look, Allah subhanahu wa chooses to have servants that are beloved to Him. So just... Direct access to paradise. And there's people he doesn't like. Throw them, in, throw them in hell. It's like if you're emptying out your pockets. When I was in Jordan, 
once was visiting one of the scholars, got hungry on the way with some friends. So he grabbed a shawarma sandwiches and realized, we're going to smell. So he said, okay, let's throw. You know, they, they come in the, those brown bags. So everyone threw their shawarma sandwich bag into the garbage. I was thinking about what to ask the sheikh, so I actually threw my wallet in the garbage. <laughs> right? So you, know, you empty out your pockets, wallet, keep, crumpled tissue paper, throw away. Right? It belongs to you, you can do whatever you want with it. Right? I threw my wallet in the garbage. Like why, why go through this whole thing, strange thing called life? And right? why were we created? Anyone? Why were we created in the way we were created? To worship Allah. But why, like, you know, we could have just been created with the tendency to worship Allah. Okay? Why were we created with all these inclinations and urges and, you know, desires and laziness and, and tendencies to get upset with people who serve you? Hmm? It's not just like a test, it's nothing but a test, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Mulk, right? Allah is the one who has created both death and life to test you. And the word used for it, bala, is that it's an intense test. It's like, it's not just like a little assignment or a small test. It's like a big exam. It's a, it's a big exam. A bala is a really testing examination. لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ So why do we differ? We differ, right? or the possibility exists just as in life itself. And why can't family just get along? Right? There's always drama in family. Well, much of the time. Right? It's like, you know, it always happens. When there isn't there drama in family, right? But if you just thought about it, like, why do family members fight? Like, you, like you can't exactly just leave them. But it's a test. And the point of the test, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Mulk is, لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا To try you, which of you will be best in their action. And that's the nature of difference in life. Allah has created people with different backgrounds and opportunities and, di- and different challenges, all of it is a test. And the same thing applies within religion itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made religious teachings open in some of their details to different understandings. Why? It's a test. What's the purpose of the test? How will you deal with that potential to differ? And what should you be striving in that possibility of difference, ayyukum ahsanu amala. Which of you is best in action? So here in the fifth surah, verse 48, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the, the believers, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ And we have sent down upon you the book, addressing the Prophet بِالْحَقِّ With truth. مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ 
confirming with truth what has come before it of Scripture, the previous revelations. وَمُهَيْمِنًا alayhi, And as a criterion over those previous revelations. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then orders the Prophet sallallahu right, to, 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 to judge according to what Allah has revealed. فَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ So judge in accordance with, with what Allah has revealed to you. وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ عَمَّ جَاءَكَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ And don't follow their caprice, their capricious ways, away from what has come to you of truth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِكُلِّنْ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَةً وَمِنْهَاجًا For each of you, we have made a guidance and a way. For each of you, we have made a guidance and a way. And this applies with other faiths, right? With other faiths that we don't follow others in the things we disagree with them about. But the ulama say the same thing within the religion. We have made for you know, a sacred law and different approaches, minhaj, right? Minhajan. But what do you do with that, with that difference when it arises? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكِنْ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ However, it is only to try you. It is only to try you. It's a test. The fact that we have differences, disagreements, small and major, it's a test. لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا أَتَاكُمْ To test you with respect to what he has sent down. So what is the test? فَاسْتَبِقُوا الْخَيْرَاتِ So rush with each other, vie with each other in doing good. Al-khayrat. Rush with each other in all that is good. Right? So if two people disagree, what does the ego want? The ego wants, I want to prove that she's wrong. But the opportunity is, do what is better. Right? Outdo others, not by proving they're wrong, but by outdoing them in good. Also, outdo them in good in how you deal with them. Right? فَاسْتَبِقُوا الْخَيْرَاتِ Rush with each other in doing the good. إِلَى اللَّهِ مَرْجِعُكُمْ To Allah is your return, all of you. فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَخْتَلِفُونَ right? And He will inform you regarding what you differed upon. That the point in this life with difference is not simply to argue and dispute that who's right and who's wrong, but rather to outdo others in the good. And also when people, when there are different possibilities, that there's this understanding and this understanding, how do you judge it? In accordance with what appears better. But what appears better according to what standard? What is the good? It's a basic understanding in our religion. What is the good? The good is what God deems to be good. And the bad is what God deems bad. Because necessarily, human beings would differ in their understanding of good and bad. Right? If the good and bad were absolutely determinable, then there's no need for revelation in the first place. Right? 
And there's a lot of discussion on this point. What is the basis of good and bad? And ultimately, the only basis for good and bad is what God, that the good is what God deems to be good, what Allah deems to be good, and the bad is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deems to be bad. Which is why, according to the mainstream of Islamic scholarship, there's no accountability whatsoever before the message of Islam reaches somebody. Right? They're not accountable. Right? Even if they do the worst of things. Right? So this is, the, this is the wisdom in tests. Right? That how do you respond to it? To respond to it in good. So how do we deal with differences as a community? This verse that we saw from you know, the fifth surah, verse 48, defines for us certain principles on dealing with difference. That when, when we disagree, or when we see different understandings within the community, we should keep these four principles in mind. The first principle is that there's a divine wisdom in the difference. Right? There's a great divine wisdom. Allah chose it to be this way. Right? So you don't so you see a difference between you and someone else. Whether it be within mainstream Islam or with other groups within the broader framework of Islam, or it be between a Muslim and someone of another faith. You recognize that all of this, Allah willed it to be this way. Had Allah chosen, everyone would be a believer. There is a test in this. And the test that matters for you is your test. How you respond to this challenge. That's number one. So the, the test itself is that you respond to it well. Right? At the very least, you respond in an acceptable manner. Or better yet, to respond in a good manner. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls us to in this verse, that respond with excellence. الخيرات, that you will differ, but outdo others in doing the good. And it doesn't say, الخير, rush with each other in good. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So outdo one another in all that is good. Right? In all that is good. Right? That so when you see a difference of opinion, right, it's, it's the ego that wants to put the other one down. Right? What Allah wants from you is what, it, what response will be most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the excellence in differences is to ask yourself what response to this disagreement is most likely to be most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how then... How can you carry that out in a manner that will be pleasing to Allah? So it's related that, and even the best of people dis, disagree, which is why the companions of the Prophet ﷺ differed. Even within the prophetic household, the Ahlul Bayt, two of the grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ differed. Right? Sayyidina Hussein and Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyyah got into a disagreement. And they were upset with each other. And they're two great believers. 
Sayyidina al-Husayn was the, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ from Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Fatima. Muhammad, Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya was, was the son of Sayyidina Ali, but from other than Sayyidina Fatima. But they're considered from the prophetic household. So Muhammad al-Hanafiya wrote to al-Husayn and he said to him that I advise you that you should come and mend relationships with me. Because though both of us are, you share a father, you have the additional honor that your mother was the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ. So I'm going to defer to you on this one and give you the opportunity of being the first to apologize. <laughs> Although technically he was the one who apologized first. And they, and they made up. Right? They made up. And that's the spirit of how we deal with difference of opinion. And the examples of that, of course, are, are many. So this is how we look at differences, right? And of course, this also applies in, in our community, but also externally. It is very easy to respond to Islamophobia with ego, for example. But we know that ego is ugly, right? right? We can respond either with ego or with our, with our hearts, right? And the heart is understood to be that faculty within one, the spiritual heart, the faculty within one that asks what is going to be pleasing to Allah. The ego asks, what do I want? The heart asks the question, what does Allah want from me? Which is why the Prophet ﷺ said, istafti qalbak, seek an answer from your heart. So one of my friends asked me, you know that, Said Sheikh Faraz, you know that hadith that ask your heart? What I'm wondering is, what do I ask my heart? It's a good question. So I looked into it, and the, what do you ask your heart? You ask your heart what action, what response is most likely to be most pleasing to Allah. That's how we respond to differences. We don't, don't respond with ego, respond with heart. Right? And with that, Ultimately, we leave matters to Allah. Right? There's a certain limit. Once you've done what you can, this is why at the end of the verse Allah says, to, to me is your return. And I will tell you about what you differed upon. Right? I, and I will tell you what you differed upon. These principles apply to social differences. In family, amongst friends, etc., they also apply to religious differences when we disagree. Whether those religious differences are within the mainstream, it's a matter differed upon. If you, you know, even in simple things, and the Prophet chose it in this way. So there are at least three ways of giving the iqama within, within Sunni Islam. Right? And all are related from the Prophet so we had, what I believe was a, 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 a Maliki Iqama was given from Maghrib today. The Shafi'is do it slightly different. Shafi'is and Hanbalis do it slightly differently and the Hanafis do it slightly differently. And they're very subtle differences. What do you do about it? Nothing. It's all acceptable. Right? There's other things where, where we may dis, disagree in a principled manner. That no, we don't say it's all acceptable. However, how do we deal with that difference? We don't hold something to be acceptable that we do so in a good way, by 
answering that question, what response is likely to be pleasing to Allah? And then we, we don't have to resolve every difference. You let it be. Right? You, you let it be. So these are four principles related to that, right? On, of how we dif- deal with difference. So ultimately, how do we ensure unity and difference? There's an important principle that sadly, due to you know, the Muslim ummah suffering from PCSD, right, which is post-colonial shock disorder. Right? And it's a very severe condition that the ummah has faced. Right? The, the Muslim ummah I mean, has been tested throughout history. Right? And there have been moments of great loss throughout Muslim history. You know, there was an extended period of time where the black stone was stolen from the Kaaba. The Qaramita came in and they stole the black stone. And that's a huge shock because it's been there from time immemorial. Right? The, the, the Mecca itself and Medina were laid siege to during the time of Al-Hajjaj. Right? There have been big, big disasters. We've had some awful rulers ruling much of the Muslim lands. Right? There have been bad times. Jerusalem was sacked by the Crusaders. They ruled it tyrannically for 190 years. And they slaughtered not only the Muslims, but the Jews. And there's so much bloodshed, that one of the great historians of Islam, Ibn al-Athir, said that this is one of the most shameful. He was there when Jerusalem fell. This is one of the most shameful days in human history. That literally blood was flowing down the streets. Synagogues were destroyed. Mosques were destroyed. Right? It was terrible. But there's another example of a, of a victory in history. Which is when Salahuddin al-Ayyubi won a political victory. Right? He defeated the Crusaders over 190 years later. But how did he respond? Right? He gave safe passage to any of the Christians, any of the Crusaders who wished to leave. And he guaranteed safety and no persecution to any of them who wished to remain. Right? Um, and this is not just politically, but religiously as well. Right? Our, our, there is no human civilization that has celebrated, not just accepted, but celebrated differences of opinion as spectacularly as Muslim civilizations have. And if you look, and it's not just way back when, even during Ottoman times, much of the political leadership of, Ottom, of, the, of the Ottomans, was, was, there were very senior posts held by Christians. The elite army was, had Christian leadership. We, we had you know, viziers who were, who were Christian. There were senior advisors who were Jewish. Same in the Mughal Empire, this, notwithstanding some Hindu nationalist um, historians, but you read other historians, even the most strict of the Mughal rulers, like Aurangzeb, almost a majority of his military commanders were Hindu. Right? The state enshrined the preservation of in, even Hindu temples, let alone other shrines. 
right? People say that the Yazidis were a persecuted minority. If as a, as a Muslim, you look into the, the beliefs of the Yazidis, you'll be like, where did they get that from? But how did they survive 1400 years of Islam in Iraq? Because they were not persecuted. Right? And there's amazing examples, not just unit, not just a respect of religious diversity within what we would say is mainstream understanding, but even beyond. And some of it is so giving that one would be shocked. Within the first two generations of Islam, when the Muslims took over Iraq, they found that some of the sects in Iraq, and some of these sects survive even till now, they allowed for a man to be married to his sister or to his mother. That's shocking. But they, so they, they went to the, to the fuqaha, the scholars of Islamic law, said, what do we do about this? Said, are they Muslim? Said, no. Said, We've been commanded to let them be and what they hold to be true. Okay? As long as you are not promoting that in the broader society to the Muslims, we let you be. And this was continued to be practiced till recent times. And the main reason they did it, it wasn't a common practice, was to preserve wealth within families. Because they didn't have inheritance laws like we have in Islamic law. And numerous other examples. Right? This, is, this, was, this has been the default. How did all these sects survive? When I was in Damascus in the late 1990s, a good friend of mine who's Spanish and a real character, um, he was looking for work. And he was sort of in the Middle East. Poor guy had been in Turkey trying to, in his son's memorized Quran there. But there's a big crackdown in Turkey at that time against. So he came to Damascus and he realized, I need to support myself. So I told him, you know, there's a Spanish institute here. It's called the Cervantes Institute. He said, okay. He said, but I can't go where. He had like, you know, the Turkish baggy pants. He was dressed sort of Islamic. So I said, well, you know, I have some trousers and a shirt and a jacket. You could wear that. But he's bigger than me. So I said, I look like a, like a baboon in a suit and tie. I said, okay, well, a baboon with work is better than, than, than a dignified man without. So he went, he got work, but then through his boss at the Cervantes Institute, he actually went to a temple in Damascus, which is one of the great centers of Islamic learning for, 12, for 1300 years. The Sahaba taught in what's now the Umayyad Mosque. In that place, we have... Authentic hadiths of Sayyidina Mu'adh ibn Jabal and others, Abu Darda, teaching there. In that location. It wasn't yet built up as the Umayyad Mosque that came in the Umayyad times. But there, within 300 meters of the Umayyad Mosque, was a temple for devil worship. And, he, and my friend Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr Gallego, he said, when he was told us that he didn't believe it, but he went inside himself. And it's not something strange. I lived in Jordan as well. There's still tribes which are called Ubadu Shaitan, devil worshippers. Jordan's a Muslim country, right? Tiny Christian minority that's been there from before Islam. But it's a, a, a tribe that have been devil worshippers before Islam and they still worship the devil. What are you going to do about them? Right? It's like, what are you going to do about them? Right? And that's been the historic attitude with difference of opinion. That we disagree, but we disagree in a manner that is good. Not in a manner 
that causes tumult. Within mainstream Islamic scholarship, there's an important principle that's neglected, which is that there can be no condemnation whatsoever in matters where there's difference within mainstream Islamic scholarship. La inkara fi masail al-khilaf. Al-Izz ibn Salam, who's one of the great, uh, greatest scholars of Islamic law, so much so that they refer to him as Sultanul Ulama, literally the Sultan of the scholars. Al-Izz ibn Salam said, there is scholarly consensus, ijma' regarding this principle, right? that there can, be no, there can be no condemnation of matters of mainstream that they're differed upon within mainstream scholarship. So someone is doing something that within mainstream scholarship, right, which in the Sunni tradition would be any opinion accepted within any of the four schools of Islamic law or any other opinion deemed to be sound even sometimes outside those four schools. There can be no condemnation whatsoever. You can disagree. But that's it. You cannot condemn a person for it. You cannot criticize them and, and morally for you to think ill of a believer who is doing something that is a possible sound interpretation within Islamic scholarship, that would be from thinking ill of another believer. You will be the person who is sinful for that. Right? You, whether you like it or not. Right? And the mainstream is broad. Right? And unless you have that broad knowledge of what acceptable and unacceptable opinions are, avoid getting into it. Right? Uh, another principle that's important to be clear about is we distinguish in the Islamic tradition between differences of opinion and divergence, khilaf. Right? Ikhtilaf is when we disagree. And we may not be able to resolve the difference Difference, but we part amicably, mercifully, and in accordance with the principles of good relationship that we're commanded to have. Khilaf, divergence, is where our, our disagreement results in dispute and we part ways. A beautiful example of how to deal with this was given during the time of the third Khalifa, Uthman ibn Affan. He was the Khalifa, he was the Amir al-Mu'mineen, and they're on a journey. And on the journey, from morning time, because the way the Arabs used to travel would be they would begin their journey as close to the end of Fajr time as they could. Because it's still cool. And you travel in the beginning of the morning until the sun rises in the sky, before the midday, you stop, you rest, and then you'd have lunch, right? Or you'd eat. Because once the sun is high in the sky, the midday, it becomes too difficult to, to travel because it gets so hot in the desert. So they're traveling in the morning, and all morning, Uthman ibn Affan and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, one of the most learned of the companions, one of the earliest of the believers, they were disagreeing on a legal matter that... Does the traveler have to shorten their prayers or not? And they were getting quite passionate about the disagreement. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said that, Wallahi, I was with the Prophet ﷺ at every journey of his. 
And the Prophet ﷺ never prayed in full when he was traveling. Sayyidina Uthman said, there's no prohibition against praying in full. And to do more of the good is better. So if someone wants to pray in full, that's fine. And they're going back and forth and they're, they're disagreeing quite passionately. But then, time came to pray dhuhr. Where the Sahaba, look, the other Sahaba and the, you know, other people on the expedition were like, Uthman and Ibn Mas'ud are disagreeing. But when time came to lead prayer, who would lead the prayer? Uthman ibn Affan, he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, he was a commander of the believers. Who went and stood right behind him? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So some people were surprised. One of them actually said to him, Would you condemn his opinion? And then pray behind him? And Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud looked surprised. He said, Al-khilafu sharr. Khilaf, diverging, is evil. That when we are disagreeing, we may disagree passionately. But we don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Okay? That's all. That it could be understood that way, it could be understood the other. Okay? Right? And this is the spirit of the difference of opinion throughout Islamic scholarship. Right? Throughout Islamic scholarship. We won't go into too many details of that. We'll point to some resources, right? That we may differ, but we differ with grace. We di- differ in the spirit of fraternity, of ukhuwa, right? Without it threatening our unity. And even when we have difference of opinion that we don't accept, right? Even when we have difference of opinion that we don't accept, with others, you know, with people of other faiths, for example, we look at the prophetic example. He dealt with even those who were plotting against him, he dealt with them with mercy, with dignity, with grace and concern. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? And that's one of the wisdoms why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose that of all strange events, this small town in the heart of the Arabian Peninsula, Medina, would have three Jewish tribes in three of the corners of Medina. Of course, what were Jewish tribes doing in the middle of the desert in Arabia? Right? It's because they were expecting the prophet, the next prophet to come from there. They couldn't, they couldn't come around to accepting him. But even after relationships went bad from you know, the, you know, the Jews of Medina were actively plotting against the Muslims. If anyone was sick in, in any of the Jewish tribes, the Prophet ﷺ would be amongst the first people to visit the person. And we know the example of the young Jewish boy was on his deathbed, the Prophet ﷺ went to visit. People were shocked. Not just the Muslims, even the Jewish people. We're trying to kill this man, and this is after several assassination attempts from those tribes to the Prophet ﷺ. Because we uphold our principles, even in differences we don't accept, with people of other faiths, but also in our social relationships. There's this amazing hadith. A man came, he was married. And this hadith was so shocking, some of the scholars of hadith said this could not be true. 
But when you test it, it's clearly a sound hadith. It's related in, the, in Sunan Abi Dawood and elsewhere. A man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, inna mra'ati la taruddu yada lamis. O Messenger of Allah, my wife does not turn away seeking hands. And it means exactly what you'd think. Lams literally means touch, but it uses a metaphor for impermissible sexual relations. She won't turn away anyone. The Prophet looked at the man and said, Would you divorce her? And the man, some narrations indicate that he was just quiet, but he indicated that no, he didn't want to divorce her. And the Prophet asked him, do you love her? And the man indicated that he did. The Prophet said, then enjoy her company. Like, what are you, what are you going to do about it? Right? What are you going to do about it? Right? And there's many other cases like that. We would be shocked. Right? A lot of the problem when it comes to unity is that we distance ourselves from the prophetic heart. That heart that is loving and merciful, right? That love and mercy is unconditional, right? And we forget the bigger picture that avoiding fitna, avoiding discord is... Fitna, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ Fitna is worse than killing, right? Fitna is worse than killing. Finally, we remember that unity... Right? Unity, in the sense of having goodwill for one another, having love and mercy, wanting good for one another, is unconditional. Right? So we don't leave what's more important for something, even if we think that's a big deal. Right? We don't lose sight of what is more important. Right? That even if the difference is something you're passionate about, ultimately, what is more important? Right? What is more important? And one of the ways... To handle, to navigate that is to consult, right? To consult. And, the, you know, so you consult people of wisdom, of perspective. And also, even coming together to consult, because it calms down, consultation calms down the ego and facilitates choices that are more rational. Choices that are more heart-driven rather than ego-driven, right? So that's... These are some of the principles of how we deal with, with differences. One final thing that I wanted to, to touch upon is, and I was blown away with, by it, maybe just because I'm, you know, my, my own shortcomings. You know, there's a verse in the Quran that I refer to as Ayatul Shadi, the verse on marriage. Although it's not about marriage, from Surah Al Rum, verse 21. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا From his signs is that he created for you from amongst yourselves spouses. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا right? Allah SWT says وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمًا And he has placed between you love and mercy. Now Allah SWT says from his signs is that he has created for you. Who is the you referring to? All humanity. From his signs is that he has created for you, meaning, O humanity, spouses from amongst yourselves, so you may find serenity therein. وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ And he has placed between you love and mercy. Who is the you referring to in the second verse, in the second, second statement? And he's placed between you love and mercy. 
obvious assumption is the couple. But as those who talk about errors in thinking, it's an important, especially in an age of, of, of deception, right? of, you know, of truthifying and truthisms and so on, it's important to, to pause and, and you know, learn about you know, how people lie or, and, uh, and how we err in our thinking. The obvious thing to say is that the second, and he has placed between you at love and mercy, would be between the, between the spouses. But that's not the case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, from Allah's signs is, he, is that he has created for you, meaning all human beings, spouses, so that you may find serenity therein, and he has placed between you love and mercy. That this applies most specifically to spouses, but it applies to all humanity. بَيْنَكُمْ And he's placed between you that in all human relationships, right, the thing that brings human beings together is love and mercy. Why do we love creation? We love creation because it's Allah's creation. That's what the reality of all created things are. That it is Allah's creation. And if we claim to love Allah, then we love all that Allah has created, insofar as it is Allah's creation. And the basis of dealing with Allah's creation is mercy, which is that you want good for others. And whatever way we respond to difference of opinion, it should be expressive of mercy. Right? And that's, that love and mercy is ultimately how we recognize that there's differences. We may disagree and express our disagreement on certain differences, but not in a manner that leads to divergence, not in a manner that creates fitna, not in a manner that results in harm. Right? So that's how we look at difference of opinion. I want to close by just some recommended resources. There's a beautiful work for those who want to read further on the issue of ikhtilaf, on difference of opinion, by Dr. Taha Al-Alwani. It's called Ethics of Disagreement in Islam. It's published by IIIT, International Institute of Islamic Thought. But if you type Ethics of Disagreement in Islam, Dr. Alwani, there's a PDF of it floating online, but do get the book. We have a number of articles on our website, uh, seekershub.org, on mainstream Islam, qualified scholarship, and how one deals with difference of opinion. You may want to check on those. And practically, in our own religious lives, don't busy yourself. If you can avoid arguing with anyone on anything religious, you will have done yourself and others a great favor. The Prophet ﷺ said, that no people went astray after Allah had blessed them with guidance, except when they became used to argumentation. Never argue in your family. My policy is that if people start talking about religion in a family gathering, especially if it's anything divisive, moon sighting, you know, moon fighting, all the other typical topics, a useful thing to know practically is a washroom is not a toilet. And a washroom, legally, Islamically, any place that has anything besides the toilet is a washroom, fiqh-wise. So it's not makruh for you to be there, unnecessarily. 
Right? Now, of course, it's not the, the ideal place to go and do your nafil prayers in the washroom, but it's fine for you to be there. People start arguing about religion, go to the washroom, that's a good time to get on social media, update your status, do whatever, go to CBC News, whatever. When you get a sense that argument's over, go back in. Never argue in matters of religion. Someone asks you something divisive, right? You know, one of my relatives came up to me one day and said, and I know when he's upset with me, upset on something religious, because when he's on good, to, you know, he's feeling good about me, he'll say, "Beta, yeah, my son." But he's a bit, sort of, you know, there's a potential for for being irritated, as only our elders can be. He calls me Sheikh Saab. But when he's like going to say something mean, he calls me Molana Saab. I don't know why it is, but that's the way it is. Because Molana Saab. What's the ruling of, are Bollywood movies halal? <laughs> now, he knows and I know what the answer is, right? Will, will there be any benefit possible by giving an answer there? No, he's not really asking to learn, nor is he asking to really discuss it. So, just change the topic. I said, you know, whatever his name is. Um, wasn't the biryani really nice today? There's something special about it today. And of course... Being rather large as only uncle types can be. Ah, today, you know, they put this and that. I couldn't care less. I don't like biryani. If they abolish biryani, I'd sign the abolition myself. Right? Don't argue with anyone. But don't argue with anyone. Change the topic. Right? Right? That, that's, and the Prophet never argued. In the Meccan phase, it's an amazing reality. The Prophet called the Meccans to the truth. You will not find a single dispute, a single argument between the Prophet ﷺ and the disbelievers in Mecca. Nor was there a single dispute on anything religious between the Prophet ﷺ and the Jews of Medina. The Prophet ﷺ never argued. Right? And that's the sunnah. Rather, focus on learning your religion. Right? Focus on learning your religion. On improving your own practice. On strengthening good relations with others, and learning how to relate well with the various circles, social, within our faith, and externally. Right? So that is how we deal with, dif- with, with differences. We see a tremendous divine wisdom in it, but we respond to differences by seeing them. This is an opportunity for earning the good pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina wa Nabina Muhammad. We have some time for questions, but we'll begin with the sisters. They were talking before the, the program too, so I expected a question for over here. How Go ahead. would you uh, define the difference between arguing and debating? So how would you d- define between arguing and debating? Arguing, or, or I mean, a, a good discussion is one that's done with goodwill, right? That begins... With, with goodwill, that's done in a good manner. Right? So it's done in a calm manner. Right? It's calm manner, a manner that is respectful. Right? Right? That, that deals with the issue and does not... One of the things that's completely not permissible in, permissible in Islam with anybody, even with someone one, one is at enmity with, is you don't question people's intention. So we learn what are the ethics of discussion, 
right? That we do it with goodwill, seeking the truth, right? With respect, with calm. Anytime you find yourself getting angry in a discussion, disengage. Disengage. T- disengage temporarily, go grab a glass of water, go to the washroom. No one can say, no, you can't go to the washroom. <laughs> like, why? Because what's the alternative, right? Right? And it's sometimes useful. So, I'm sorry, I just need to go to the washroom. You want to calm down, etc. And ask yourself, is there benefit in this discussion? No. Right? Some things, you have friends, like you're Sunni, you have friends who are Shia. Like, an argument that's not been solved for 1400 years, sitting here at Humber College. Like, if you pause, you step away. Do you really think that we can solve the Shia-Sunni differences by discussing them over a Subway sandwich? No then what's the point of discussing it? Will there be any benefit in it? Especially when it's a... You know, one thing is to try to understand someone's perspective and so on, and that, that's fine, right? But to try to say, okay, I want to prove to you that I'm right. Like, you know, when's the last time anyone was convinced in that manner, right? Rather, the, you know, the, the, the sunnah, and this applies to people of other faiths, but also applies within our... With a fortiori, with other believers we may disagree with, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, Come to a common word between us and you. Right? It's actually a beautiful initiative. When the previous pope came in, and there had been many decades of good work between the Vatican and many different Muslim organizations to avoid, you know, ill will and stuff between Muslims and Christians, and the previous pope made a whole number of declarations attacking that. A number of concerned um, senior Muslim figures it started this initiative. And you can find it online. The website is called acommonword.com or something. Um, without sacrificing any of one's own principles. right? But to foster good, you know, good relations. To try to understand, okay. Yeah, to understand, and I don't have to ag- accept your perspective. And that's a good form of discussion, to come to know one another. لِتَعَارَفُوا To come to know one another. So you may disagree, because sometimes we imagine that, well, we follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and these people, God knows what they follow. Right? Like I've had several times, I've traveled to a community, and someone came after and said, Shaykh, I was about to join the boycott of your khutbah, but you're just quoting Qur'an and Sunnah. Like, what do you want me to quote? The Bhagavad Gita and Nietzsche <laughs> in the khutbah? Like, come on, you know? But, you know, sometimes we... Imagine that people we disagree with, we, and this is, you know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to be, to be steadfastly fair, right? To be steadfastly fair to all people. And that's a good type of discussion, just to try to understand the other party. You don't, you don't leave what you hold, but just to get to know one another. And that's a good form of discussion. But also we have to be practical. Many things, right? People who hold, you know, beliefs that people hold dear, you won't, you won't get them to change by argumentation. And even if you could convince a few people, the residual damage of it is far greater. Imam al-Ghazali and many other scholars said that in Muslim societies where there's established, established sects of Islam, it may be haram even for scholars to refute those sects. Think about that. That if there's sects that diverge from mainstream Islam, it may be haram to do public refutation of those sects. Why? Because it lead to fitna. Like how in all major Muslim countries were there always significant, sizable Shia minorities? Because people 
accepted good relations with one another. And the, historically the ulama said, you cannot publicly raise issues of difference of opinion. Not to say kumbaya, we're all the same. No, we differ. We differ. We disagree. Right? There's some things which we, we may, may not be able to reconcile. But we maintain good relations. And we have balance. Right? And that's, you know, that's, the, that's the approach. Right? So we discuss, but don't let ego come into it. And don't be foolish. Right? You know, you're not going to be able to solve things that haven't been solved for 1400 years. Any other questions? Okay, so as Muslims, are we allowed to go to church or temple? That's a very specific legal question. <coughs> the, there's, there's two aspects to it, right? That firstly, it's important for a believer to be clear why we believe and what we believe, right? Because if we don't, our faith is not safe, right? That's, that's, that's a grounding, right? So, now... If one is just going to church just because, right? For someone who believes what a Muslim believes, just going to church just because I've got nothing else to do on a Sunday morning, I'll, let me go to church. The answer is obvious. Don't. I right? don't. But there can be many considerations to go to a church. If one is in a position of leadership within the community, right? It's important to, to, make, to have good relations with other with other faiths, to have you know, dialogue, to collaborate on, on bigger causes, right? to reciprocate goodwill, etc. Right? You know, that, that good relations is an important matter. There are many common causes. Right? Th- those are healthy. We're not in an age where these kinds of Christian-Muslim debates about whatever are of much use. But there are many issues you know, where we have to maintain... Uh, Good relations. Part of good relations is that it is clearly within, um, within what is permissible for a Muslim to, you know, to, to uh, you know, if one has, if there, you know, a, a non-Muslim person dies, particularly if they have some relation, they're within the family, or they're a neighbor, or a co-worker, or, or a friend, or anything, that one go to express, to express one's condolences. But one doesn't actively participate in their specific religious rituals, right? But, but one stands respectfully. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting in, in Medina and a funeral passed away and the Prophet ﷺ stood up for the whole duration of the, of the, you know, of the funeral passing by and they said, Ya Rasulullah, but... It's, it's, but it's it's a it, you know it, it, the deceased is Jewish. He said, "Alaysat nafsan." Is it not a human soul? Right. So that's that's the balance. So when there's a need, either communal need or a personal need in terms of you know if there's a funeral or some you know some other program, they they ha- they're having a vigil for you know the, you know the the killings in Quebec or this and that. There's nothing wrong with attending such matters and maintain, maintaining good relations. But one doesn't do... It's obvious. If you, know, if you have a million dollars, you don't leave them on your porch when you go. There's nothing more precious than your faith. So you don't do things that will unnecessarily challenge your faith without benefit. Right? 
But in that broader context, and, and it's very important for us to be engaged in the community. Right? We have to participate in our own community. And when you're, you know, you know, when you're in college, this is something to be thinking about. Once I graduate, how will I be part of the broader community? Right? Because a believer considers both personal responsibility and what is your social responsibility as a believer. And part of that social engagement is how can we, as a Muslim community, have good relations with broader communities. Right? And that's a communal obligation. Sorry for the long answer. Okay, we'll cycle around. Um, any questions from, from the sisters? I, I know. I was trying to give others an opportunity. Is she your official rep representative? Okay, go ahead. So I was wondering, like, you know, you've been talking about the importance of not arguing and the sunnah surrounding not arguing. So what do you do when someone is, is blatantly spreading lies about Islam? And, you know, you can't allow that kind of misinformation to spread. So, like, not only, obviously, Trump, but even if, like, you're in the hallway and you hear someone who's maybe misinformed being like, oh, yeah, you know, Muslims have to eat halal food. And, like, that means they have to, like, do a ritual before, like, they can do anything with it. Like, I've heard kind of yeah, stuff like that. I mean, like, the, isn't it important? Yeah, so how does one respond to, you know, blatant misinformation, etc. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Call to the way of your Lord with wisdom and beautiful exhortation. Right? And that's the basis, right? That with wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is to act in a manner that is likely to have good consequences. That's what wisdom is. And when we don't know, we consider. Right? The Prophet says, speak, say, whoever believes in Allah in the last day should say only the beneficial or remain silent. So when we're not sure, will this be of benefit? Remain silent until you're sure that it will be of benefit. Right? And sometimes a question of consulting. There's other people who've dealt with it in a good way. Right? Um, and sometimes it can be helpful to come after the fact. It's very effective. Someone says something really ugly, you go after the fact to them and say, by the way, you know, you mentioned this the other day. I don't know how to say it nicely, but you may want to. Consider this. And they'll, they'll respect the fact that you responded in such a dignified way. With wisdom and a beautiful way. Right? That which will be, that's beautiful. Because often with people who disagree, one has to keep in mind that it's not only the person, you know, there's the angry person who's, or the person who's at enmity with you, you have to consider, but there's the onlookers. Right? And how you respond, you hope, it's not only how the person, that person may not listen to you, but there's reasonable people who are affected by them, that if you respond in a dignified, principled, restrained, beautiful manner, they will, they will listen. People are degrees, right? Someone may be at such so much enmity, it may take a long time for them to change their opinion. Although you'll be surprised. But there's other who are, you know, reasonable people, right? 48% of America, of Americans voted, voted for, you know, whoever they voted for. Right? A lot of them are, are just clued out people, right? Or upset people, etc. If we respond in a dignified way, at least some of them will respect that. And you see that with the Prophet ﷺ. He never responded with anything but grace. They became embarrassed at not having been able to accept the Prophet ﷺ, right? So when after... You know, when the Prophet ﷺ was prevented from, from performing Umrah at Hudaybiyah, next year they went. And the Meccans, 
left Mecca to let the Muslims perform Umrah. And they were so amazed by the dignified and restrained response. They were, they were stand, they're at the hills looking, observing the Muslims. Because they couldn't help but be impressed. These are amazing people. Right? So we, we cannot, there is no dispensation in our religion to respond with ego. Right? That you ask yourself, what response will be pleasing to Allah? Right? And it's difficult, but that's why we always have to look towards the example of the Prophet right? right? And you see nothing but beauty in his example. Right? And he was firm on the truth, but he was never harsh. He was never mean. He never mocked anyone. In fact, Anas ibn Malik relates that he never even frowned at me once. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sayyidina Anas was in service of the Prophet for 10 years. And, the Prophet, and he said, I was just a teenager. I was just, a, I was just young. And, I, and he made many mistakes. He said, whenever I broke something. And not this, if I broke something, whenever I broke something. Right? He just say it was destined. Because right? you're getting upset won't change the fact that it broke. And he said, He never even frowned at my face. Right? And that comes from that being rooted in you know, loving Allah entails loving His creation. Seeking Allah's mercy entails being merciful to creation. And that may entail being firm. Right? Being firm, but with principle. And all other great leaders. Right? We look at wisdom wherever we find it. You look at the, the great leaders in the 20th century. Why are people impressed by Nelson Mandela? Because you see restraint, dignity, principle, and mercy, and wisdom in his response. Martin Luther King Jr., why are people so impressed by his principled response? Because you can't, whether, whatever faith, you can't, be, you can't but say that that was an impressive response. Right? And the believer should be the standard of excellence in all their responses. Right? Which is not easy. And we'll, we'll fall short of the prophetic standard. But one of the critical things, particularly in, in challenging times like these, is to practically, and we'll stop with this, is practically to make a commitment not, to not let a day pass except that we read something of the Qur'an, right? something of the Qur'an with understanding. You, right? A little bit. Even if it be a few verses that you read, that if you don't know Arabic, that you read the translation of. And, and the early Muslims who say, never say a little Qur'an. Because nothing of the Qur'an is little. Because all of it is great. The Qur'an is azim. Nothing of it is qaleel. So the Qur'anic expression is, you know, al-yaseer min al-Qur'an. Whatever is facilitated for you of the Qur'an. فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنْ Recite whatever is facilitated for you. Right? So always have, have something of the Qur'an that you read daily. And always connect daily with something of prophetic teachings, daily, right? A good, you know, particularly those things that relate to our conduct and character. Daily, if we do these two things, right, we will be in the circle of good, ta'ala. And the last thing that helps, which is a prophetic counsel, the Prophet ﷺ, a man who just become Muslim, came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, the teachings of Islam are so vast. So tell us something we can hold on to. The Prophet ﷺ said, keep your tongue moist with the remembrance of Allah. Right? Because in those difficult situations, someone's angry with you. But if you're remembering Allah, it is so much easier to respond in a way that will be pleasing to Allah. Because the closer you are to consciousness of Allah, 
the more likely you are to consider what response will be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll stop there, bi-dhinillahi ta'ala, wa sallallahu ala sayyidina wa nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam, wa alhamdulillahi rabbil ala.